This is the Jesus Habit Podcast, where we're using scripture and science to make your new nature in Christ second nature. Episode 28 for Wednesday, October 9th, 2019. big idea. The promise only becomes a reality for those who are diligent to the very end. Our weekly identity statement, I am moving beyond the elementary teachings of salvation and into the maturity of righteousness. Our memory verse, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4, 14-16 In yesterday's passage, the author made this statement, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. One thing the author of this letter is brilliant at doing is making great transitions. They are unlike many other letters. This verse transitions us into his next argument about Abraham, which is where the reading for today begins. In the coming chapters, the author is not only going to address the fact that Jesus is from the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is a higher order than the Levitical priesthood, but the author is also going to contrast the law with the oath. The oath that God makes about his son came after the law, but the priesthood of which Jesus is a part of came before it. And all of this, and with the incredibly intense warning fresh in our minds and nipping at our heels, the author gets right back into his argument that Jesus is greater. Before he can really address Melchizedek and the law, he has to lay the groundwork for the oath of God. What is an oath? Well, it's the pledge you make about a promise. We are most familiar with the concept when it comes to marriage and courtrooms. I swear, when God made these promises, he swore. But when you're the creator of all things, who do you swear by? In the courtroom, they used to put their right hand on the Bible and swear that they would tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Well, who is there to help God tell the truth? There is nothing higher than God, so... The Lord swears by himself. He will be both the promiser and the guarantor. So when we get to verse 15, we see both the fact that Abraham waited patiently for the promise, a key theme the author will draw on several more times, and that when God makes a promise, it's a guarantee. God cannot not keep his promises. The text says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, The heirs are both the Israelites and us. He confirmed it with an oath. It's kind of like a pinky promise. I know that sounds ridiculous, but for some reason in our time, you can make a regular promise and it's not a big deal if you break the promise. But if you break a pinky promise, I guess I get to break your pinky. Through ways I cannot understand, the pinky promise has become a legitimate form of promising to keep the promise you have made. The instance the author is referring to is in Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19. It's where Abraham passes his ultimate test, the one where he offered up his only son as a sacrifice because God asked him to. In that text, God says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, 
that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Why does God make a promise to keep his promise in this situation? Well, because Abraham obeyed God. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son. He offered up the very thing he had been waiting his whole life for. This son was the only way for the previous promise God had made to bless Abraham to be possible. Everything in Abraham's life was about the promise. But what does any of this have to do with what the author of Hebrews is saying? Well, Abraham had this ridiculous faith in God. By the time he did this, he was well into his hundreds. His age, however, didn't keep him from believing that God would keep his promise. I mean, if he had a kid at 100, why couldn't he have one at 120 or 130 or 140? Abraham just believed. As irrational as it may have been, he simply believed that God could do whatever needed to be done to fulfill the promise. Okay, so so what's going on here? Well, the author is using the well-known story of God keeping his promise to bless Abraham and make a great nation out of him as an illustration for the promise God has made about Jesus, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The readers of this letter would have been very familiar with the story of Abraham. They were his descendants. They were living proof that God keeps his promises. And because God wanted to make his unchanging nature clear to the readers of this letter, he reassures us that the promise of Christ is sure and certain. Because there are two proofs by God, and because God cannot lie, we who have fled the old system can be greatly encouraged by the hope we are now clinging to. We can be absolutely certain that God will keep his promise about Christ. Christ is greater than the law that God gave to the people who were evidence of the promise to Abraham. So don't even think about going back to the old law or the old covenant because Christ is greater. And this hope is what anchors us. This hope is what secures our ship in the midst of the storm. This hope is not wishful thinking as we often use the word today. It is absolute certainty that God will keep his promises because it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot lead us astray. Oh, and there's more. This hope has gone ahead of us and anchors our ship in the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, the Holy of Holies, the place where God is. Though we may not be there yet, we can be absolutely certain of the fact that our salvation is secure because it is Christ who has secured it on our behalf, and that is where he is at this very moment, behind the curtain, seated at the right hand of the majesty. Christ has taken the anchor of our ship with him into God's presence. As far as God is concerned, our ship is already secure. We have to ask ourselves, what is our hope anchored to? This Sunday, we're going to dig into this metaphor a little more because there's an incredible picture here. But for today, we have to ask, where is our hope? Is our hope in the unchanging promise of God? Or is it in something else? Is it in our own works and mistaken belief that we can do what is necessary to earn our salvation? Is it in some other man-made system like the government or our favorite political party? Is our hope in an ideology that's popular in our society today? Or 
is our hope anchored to the one who has gone behind the curtain on our behalf. www.thejesushabit.com <laughs>